המלאכים הקדושים העומדים במרומים אחוד חידה ואין פותר. השם ברחמיו נתן לי בית וגם לחם אך מדוע לביתו הוא לא חוזר. מלאכים הקדושים העומדים במרומים, אחוד חידה בלב כואב. השם ברחמה העיר לי שמש שצוחקת, אך מדוע בצער הוא יושב. מלאכים הקדושים, אנא בקשו מאלוקים, לשוב הביתה לפתוח דלת. העומדים במרומים, לא אל תפסיקו את החנונים, אין לנו אהבה אחרת. מלאכים הקדושים, אנא בקשו Good evening, thank you for coming. Um, tonight's share, first of all, yeah, tonight's share, I want to first wish a very happy birthday to our dear friend Yoel Peso. His birthday is going to be on the 6th of Kislev, that's tomorrow night. I want to wish him a wonderful, wonderful good year with boundless, boundless, endless, and infinite blessings, like it says this week in the parsha of Aratzta. You will break all boundaries. Yom HaVakedma to the east, to the west, and to the east, to the Tzafayin of Anegma to the north and to the south. So Hatzlacha, without an end, and come pouring down in everything that you want and everything that you need, a wonderful, wonderful, good, good, good year. Um, I'd like to mention a, a, um, a special Yid Izzy uh, Bistamsky and Eti um, Bistamsky are dedicating tonight's class to a special Yid. His name was Rabavram Milner, who was close to the Bistamsky family and before the war, and he passed away. Was uh, actually his was killed in the during the in the Holocaust during the in the camps. And the art site they have is the sixth, the sixth of Siv, of uh, Kislev, also tomorrow night. May this be a great chus for his neshama. I want to um, take a moment to invite everyone to join Bezrat Hashem in two weeks from tonight, Monday night. It's going to be the 19th of Kislev. So there's going to be an amazing special 19th of Kislev Fabrengen and that is going to be here at Mayon and it's going to be a women's event this time an exclusive women's event Be'ezrat Hashem this week this Yutas Kislev 19th of Kislev um, it's going to be called or it's called Journeys to Hasidus, 
in which we were highlighting those women who discovered Hasidus in their life at a later point in their life and couldn't get enough of it. Joining us over here will be my younger sister, Giti Rappaport, telling her story of her journey to Hasidus as she followed her brother. I didn't impose anything on anybody, but she did, and she has an amazing story. So, um, it's going to be a great evening. Monday, 7 o'clock, December, what is it? December, I think, December 16th. Monday, December 16th. Over here, four women at Mayan musical event. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be very special. Also want to mention that there are many ways to follow Mayan Yisroel uh, on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Mayan Yisroel YouTube channel, where anytime there is a class going on at Mayan, you will get a notification ding in your YouTube saying there is a class. And then you might decide to listen and you might have a moment of light, a special moment of light through the amazing teachings of Hasidus that are taught over here. So do this uh, now if you can, when you're listening. If you're not yet subscribed, uh, to subscribe either to Facebook, to YouTube, or all the other good ways of listening into these classes. Thank you. Okay, now we're ready to start tonight's class. So, um, it's a very, very exciting time. We've been talking about from the beginning of the year that we hit a powerful year. We're in an, in an unbelievable year, and therefore we can't be sleepy. We can't be sleepy. And I'm giving this class to wake up from my drowsiness. Because sometimes it's precisely when we hit the most potent moments, we become sleepy. And we like miss it. So we can't miss it. We can't fall asleep this year. We have to be fully engaged, fully involved, electrified. Because the energy of the year is the energy of number eight, 5788. Represents transcendence, the infinite. I discussed it at the beginning of the year, but I'm re-touching again upon the subject over, especially as we enter the month of Kislev, because in the month of Kislev, although it is the ninth month since Nisan, not the eighth, but the main holiday that we celebrate in Kislev is going to be Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is number eight, the eight days of Hanukkah. It's the one yomtiv that is a slam dunk eight. And that's why it, it cap, encapsulates within it the power of the miracle. Hanukkah is the yomtiv celebrating miracles. The miracle. Because miracles are associated with number eight. Because miracles come from, obviously, beyond nature. Nature is seven. So eight is miracles. So when we enter into the month of miracles, we can tap the miracles. So the question I ask tonight, how can every single one of us access that energy and bring miracles into our lives? How do, I mean, if it's such an amazing year, the year, I mean, obviously the biggest miracle is the miracle of Mashiach and the complete conversion of darkness to light, which has, there's everything in the world now that that should happen. It was never such an auspicious, powerful time for the Giyula to 
manifest, for the Giyula to take, take hold. It should happen, it could happen, and we could make it happen. But in addition to that, how do we bring the miracles into our lives for all that we need and all that we want in every aspect of our life? How do we tap? And I mean really get the miracles pumping. Get the miracles pumping in a really big way. The answer to that is we need to be a miracle. If we are predictable, then we're not going to get miracles. Okay? So we need to get out of our habits and predictable behaviors in a good, holy way. We've got to be like unbelievable. When we all become unbelievable, then we have unbelievable things happening around us. So it's getting out of the, of the, of the daily grind and, 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 and repetition. We all kind of, we can work through our lives in a repetitive manner and just, just flow with who I was yesterday, that's what I'm going to be tomorrow, meet me in a couple of years from now, I'll be a little more sluggish because I'm aging a little bit, but other than that, nothing much changed. That's not the way it works. A Jew's got to be this firepower. And a Jew is here in the world to break the norm. That's who our, it's all of our people, all of our heroes from the earliest of days are those who change things. We've got to change. We've got to break out. We've got to break out. We've got to make the impossible possible. That's what a Jew is. Making the impossible possible. And it begins in our daily living. And what I'm trying, would like to do in today's class is to discover it in this week's parsha and take a lesson from this week's parsha of where we can tap into that miracle. And the lesson has to be a two-pronged lesson. Number one, the lesson is anyone, even if you find yourself in the very, very, very beginning of beginning of beginning of stages in your spiritual climb, even if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, I haven't even begun to be a Jew. I haven't even begun to activate my soul. I haven't even begun to start studying, learning, elevating, you know. I didn't even start yet. I'm just at the very first rung. What we have to realize, we have the ability to break and touch the infinite. Without turning, without turning over the world at all. It's within reach of every single one of us, even when we are at the bottom, 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 bottom of the ladder. And then the other side of the lesson has to be that even those who have attained the highest levels of connection to Hashem, even those that have reached to the peaks of self-refinement, of elevation, of... of uh, spiritual development also have the challenge and the need to completely break free from the definitions that they define themselves from that very very lofty state and reach for the infinite because they too if they don't do that remain defined in the definitions of nature so it's a double lesson. The one all the way at the bottom has it within his or her ability to tap the miracle. And the one all the way at the top can also be stuck in nature, although they might be very holy, but a naturally holy being. And that's not it. The constant need of redefining ourselves continuously. That's where it's at. That's Hanukkah, that's the month of Kislev, 
And that's this entire year, 5780. Break out, break out. Be, be, a, be a trailblazer. Get out of yourself. Get out of the limitations and boundaries. The nature of your body and the nature of your soul. So where do we... Where are we going to find that in the parsha? Well, this is the parsha of breaking boundaries. Hashem promises Yaakov Avinu, Ufaratzta I mentioned it in the blessing in the beginning of the class today when we gave the dedication. Ufaratzta. Ufaratzta means blast. Blast open. Blast open the very boundaries of time and space. And that's the energy of Mashiach. Mashiach is a blaster. Mashiach is the one who breaks the boundaries. He's called... Peretz, Paratzta. There is no borders, there are no boundaries, and there is never ever satisfaction. There is always another, another um, record to break. There's always a higher level to reach. Reaching and reaching and reaching for the infinite. If we can only tap that, then we are living a godly existence. Or else, we're living a time, space, finite um, um, rotting existence, that's it. There's really no choice. There's not much to it. We can either just be a disintegrating being or we can transcend ourselves and touch that infinite. And when we're really alive, that's what we're doing. So where do we find that in the Parsha? Where do we find this transcendence in the Parsha? Another interesting thing that we'll, that we'll explore in tonight's class is that if you take a look at these parshios, Vayetze, and next week's parsha, Vayishlach, we're really talking about engaging and fixing the world. Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, Yaakov, is a very great tzaddik. He's an awesome, awesome tzaddik. And he's living a very, very spiritual life in his home in, Mesopot- in, his home in Be'er Sheva, with, next to his father. And that's until now. He's already over 60 years old. 60 years old, 60 years of divine connection. 60 years of Talmudic, of study, of Torah study. 60 years of deep meditative prayer. 60 years of the highest connection with God. And then after this, he leaves, he leaves his father's house and he goes to deal with the big bad world. He goes out to his uncle Lavan, he goes to a hostile environment, he has to first engage in business, he never did that, and he's dealing with a con artist, a very dangerous person, and he spends 20 years over there being cheated all the time and having to make his way in the midst of all that. And, but Yaakov Avinu, uh, unbelievably, he fixes that whole place, he transforms, he builds a Jewish family, he builds great wealth for himself and turns it into holy wealth, godly wealth, using it for good purposes. And then, after that, we go to next week's Torah portion. And next week's Torah portion is going to be all about taking it even a step deeper, going to confront the really, really, really dangerous dark forces in the world. And that is Yaakov's brother Esav, who is the father of Amalek, the father of Edom, the nation that we're in exile for 2,000 years, the brutal forces of Edom that are the forces that are so, so completely bent towards the destruction of everything holy and godly in this world. 
And Yaakov goes and takes that on. Takes on Esav and at the end triumphs over Esav and the angel of Esav. It's the story of next week's Torah portion. So if you think about it, the idea of these two parashiyos, Vayetze and Vayishlach, is all about going out into the world. And if we can take it a step further, the week after that is going to be a continuation of Joseph, Yosef Atzadik, who's going to take it even further. He's going to go into the most depraved society at that time, which is Egypt, and work on converting that too to holy. As we learn in Hasidus, elevating all the sparks, taking out the wealth of Egypt like he actually did in his own life, and later he lays the Jewish people into Egypt, and then the Jewish people come out. So basically from Vayetze, from this, it's like, you know, you think, Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov is going out, it's going to take, it's going to take about um, 300 years until he's going to come back. He thought he's going away. You know, he's going away, he's coming back soon. I mean, he himself came back 20 years later. But what he opened up was this notion of going out into the world. And until the Jews came in with Joshua, with Yeshua, they're still, they're still outside, repairing the world. So whether Yaakov knows this or he doesn't, this parsha vayetse means the Jew cannot stay indoors in the comfort of his home, but the Jew needs to impact the world. That's the parsha. The season, the time of the year that we're learning it, is during the month of Kislev. That's when. Now we just started Kislev. Now what's Kislev all about? Kislev is related to the deepest parts of the Torah. Number one, Kislev is the third month in the winter months because there's two there's two counting an hour counting of the months one count begins in Nisan because the Holy Ari says that the the 12 months of the year are in two columns column one is from Nisan to Elul second column is from Tishrei which is the seventh month of the year until Ador two columns and they parallel each other so Nisan parallels Tishrei, Cheshvan, Iyar, they parallel. So Sivan and Kislev go hand in hand. And so why do we see the similarities? Sivan is the time when God gave, gave us the Torah. That's what is Matan Torah, that's Sivan. And what happens in Kislev? In Kislev, again, we have the giving of the Torah. But we have the giving of the esoteric part of the Torah. Because that's when we have the great Hasidic holidays, the 19th of Kislev, which opened up the door to the wellsprings of the deeper parts of Torah to flow to the world. And even Hanukkah is also all about the secrets of the Torah, the great light of Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is the Yom Tiv most associated with oil. And oil represents the hidden part of the Torah, the oil of the Torah, the secrets of the secrets. The revealed part of the Torah, the outer part of the Torah is compared to water, the secrets of the Torah is compared to wine, and the secrets of the secrets, which is even deeper than Kabbalah, which is Hasidut, which is the essence of the Torah, the teachings of Mashiach, is compared to oil. So here we have seemingly somewhat of a contradiction. Because the Parsha is taking us very outward. The Parsha is taking us away from the inner realm, definitely from the inner secrets of the Torah, it's taking us to face the world, to face the charan of the world, 
which is like the Vegas of the world, to face the, 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 the loved ones of the world, and even worse than that, to face Esau. So we're dealing with getting out there, getting our hands dirty, so to speak, with fixing the world. So that means going away from studying Torah. Definitely going away from studying the deepest secrets of the Torah that require complete commitment and purity of soul, purity of mind, which was more or less something that you do when you close yourself off in a closed place, seclude yourself, go to the mikveh, dip yourself like 310 times, and then come out and you're like in this holier state, disconnected from the world. You're learning, and then you're worthy for these great revelation of the secrets of the Torah. And here somehow they're kind of coming together. The, the, the parsha we're supposed to live with the parsha is dealing with the outside, an outwardly experience, and the month, the time of the year, is dealing with very inward, connecting to the deepest inner point of our neshama. So how do the two work together? So in order to understand this, let's take a clue from this parsha. And what we're going to do is going to fast forward to the last end of the parsha. When we get all the way to the end of the parsha, it says Yaakov is on his way back from being in by his uncle Lavan's house. He's returning. He escaped. By now he has a large family, four wives, and 11 sons, and one daughter. He's got a mess. He amassed a fortune. He's coming back home. Servants, maidservants. It's, like, it's a whole caravan. And they're returning back. He has a confrontation with Lavan. We say it in the Agadah Shal Pesach, we thank God that he saved us from love, and love at that point wanted it literally, and he had it within his ability. His, his evil powers were so strong that he wanted to obliterate, annihilate the entire Jewish people, the entire family. God protected us. And then Yaakov makes some kind of a, makes some kind of a truce with Lavan. And then Yaakov continues on to his way to the land of Israel. So the Pasuk says, the Yaakov halach ladarko, this is the second to the last verse in, the, in this parasha, Yaakov goes to his way, and he encounters godly angels. Amazing. Yaakov is walking and he sees a group of angels going towards him. So when Yaakov sees them, Yaakov gets excited. And he says, this is a God, this is a divine camp. This is a godly camp. The angels of Hashem. It's a group of angels. So he's so excited to see them. So he calls that place camps. The place where he met them, he called them machanayim, which means camp in the plural which means two camps, minimum. So Rashi says, what's going on here? Why is Yaakov now meeting a group of angels? So Rashi says, These are the angels of the land of Israel. Our special, we know that every person has angels protecting us. It says so in the Apostle. Hashem is going to send 
because it's angels, he will command to you lishmarcha to protect the person. So we have angels that protect. But the and we know that when a person is in the land of Israel, Israel is much holier. So the protecting angels that are in Israel are of a higher type of angels, and they and they protect and shield the person when they're in Eretz Yisrael. And then there's different kind of angels who are the angels of Chutzli Eretz, outside the angels in the diaspora, wherever you are, whether you're in Europe, United States, Australia, wherever a person is outside of the land of Israel, we have different kinds of angels. of Chutzli Eretz. So Yaakov had now spent 20 years outside of the land of Israel. And who accompanied him and protected him? The angels. We see by Yaakov Avinu, the angels were very active. The whole story with the sheep, the spotted sheep, the angels were bringing the, 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 the speckled sheep and the spotted sheep to, his, to Yaakov's flocks, and that's why they were having babies that were speckled and ringed and spotted. I mean, there was, there were, the angels were very, very engaged. And very, by us, they're also engaged and involved. But uh, we're not necessarily aware of them. But by Yaakov, he, he got to uh, see how much. But now he's returning with these angels, which accompanied him during the time that he was outside of the land of Israel. So as he was approaching, getting closer to the border, he wasn't yet, he didn't cross the border yet. He's still in, and you know, it's, you ever go down to Tijuana? I don't know if it's a good idea these days, but if you're ever driving down so once you get halfway into San Diego, you start seeing already signs saying, you know, you know, last three exits before the border. And then, um, so when Yaakov is kind of a couple of exits away before the border, he sees these group of angels. Who are they? So Rashi says, these are the angels of Israel that are coming to greet him and escort him back to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, Israeli security. They're coming towards him, and they're going to lead the escort. Okay. Now, that's why, um, that's, that's, the, that, that, that's what it means, Rashi says, Malachi Elokim. Then it says, Machanoim. Yaakov Avinu called that place Machanayim. So what does it mean? We said two camps. What are the two camps? Oh, because Yaakov is saying, well, in this place that I'm standing now, I have two camps. I have the camps from Chutzli Aretz. I have the camp of, I have the group of angels that were accompanying me in the last 20 years. They were waiting for a tip, right? So they were still hanging out there. The new group of angels that were coming to greet Yaakov were all from the land, from the Israeli, the Israeli security, they were also there. And now he has both of them standing together. And that's why he calls this place, a place of where the two camps are meeting. That's what it is. Okay. Now, first of all, we'll ask over here just a simple question. How do we know that these, that the, the first group of angels that Yaakov met are the Israeli, are the Israeli angels? How do you know that the, 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 the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael, how does Rashi know that on the simple reading of the passage? Medrash, Medrash. But Rashi's not quoting it from Medrash. Rashi seems to be knowing it from the simple meaning. So it's simple, because if you remember in the beginning of the parasha, which we didn't discuss now, when Yaakov is leaving, when Yaakov is leaving, Be'ersheva, he has the dream and he, has a, he, has, he sees the ladder. So he sees angels going up and going down. 
And Rashi was bothered by the idea that the angels are going up first. Angels live in heaven. They don't live down here. So if angels are, if he's seeing angels, the angels have to first come down. They have to descend. And then they can ascend. So Rashi explains the reason why it says angels going up first and then angels coming down is because the angels were with Yaakov the whole time already, even before he had the dream. These angels were accompanying him. But now when he went to sleep, being that he was now ready to go out of Eretz Yisrael, so his Israeli angels were going up the ladder because they were going back to heaven because Yaakov was leaving the land of Israel. So there was a change of guard. The malachim of Eretz Yisrael were going up and the malachim and the angels of, of Chutzli Eretz of outside of Eretz Yisrael were coming down. Okay? So now, as soon as Yaakov wakes up from his dream and he leaves and he goes to Chutzli Eretz, he's already going with the, with the non-Israeli security going with him. Okay? And it's interesting, they came down in Eretz Yisrael, they're taking him out. Similar to over here where the Israeli malach, the malachim of Eretz Yisrael are going. Okay, fine. But, so, comes out, we know already from Rashi, we know already from the Torah, that Yaakov had malachim given to him special for the journey. He had angels, particularly with him, to take him outside and to protect him. Hashem said to him, I will protect you. Simply, how is Hashem protecting Yaakov? Through the angels. That they were his protectors and all that. So now Rashi is bothered. Because the Pasuk says, suddenly Yaakov sees a group of angels. He gets all excited. They're the Malachim. Hold it. He, now he encounters angels. He, he has the angels for the last 20 years. They're with him the whole time. Because of that question, we have to say, yeah, he had angels. But these are the non-Israeli angels. These are the angels from Chutzli Eretz, from outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now he's getting to meet the Malachim back from Eretz Yisrael. And because of that, Yaakov Avinu is excited. He says, ah, here are the Sabra angels. The Israeli angels. He's excited about these Malachim. And therefore he calls out, So that's how we know that this was that, because or else we would wonder, he had the Malachim all along. He had those angels. Doesn't have to get excited. But what is the chidush? What is the novelty of... Okay, so that's going on already the whole parasha. The malachim come to him over there, the malachim are going there. What's the, what's the novelty over here? The novelty is that Yaakov Avinu our, called the place Machanayim, which means two camps. What was the great excitement? The great excitement was because here something unusual happened. What was unusual? You had both angels standing together. There was, a, there was a, an encounter of both of them. A little while later, the angels of Chutzli Eretz, of outside Eretz Yisrael, are going to leave. Earlier, he only had one peer. The Malachim of outside of Eretz Yisrael. It was only at this encounter, I don't know how long it took, an hour or so, whatever, it doesn't say, that Yaakov Avinu was accompanied by two groups, Machanayim. And what's unique is, when you find, when, remember when, I, when we just reviewed the story from the beginning of the parasha, over there he never had two groups of angels at one time. What does it say? The Malachim went up, 
the malachim that were protecting him till then departed and they went up to Shamayim, they went up to heaven. And then the new angels came down. That means there wasn't a moment when Yaakov had both groups of malachim at the same time. Now, when he's returning, Yaakov has them both. The malachim of Eretz Yisrael and the malachim of Chutzliyaretz. So we need to understand the, the difference, the significance. When I'm not even going to go into, we're not going to talk so much about its practical meaning as it refers to Yaakov. What I'd like to discuss today is more of the spiritual meaning as this refers to each and every one of us. Because when we talk about ya- Yaakov in the parsha, as long as we're talking about an ancient man who lived three and a half thousand years ago, it's, an, it's a nice story. But when we realize that when we speak about Yaakov, it's really the story of each and every one of us. Because every single Jew is called Yaakov. From all of our forefathers, the one that we are named, we're not called Avram unless your name is Avram. I actually sponsored the class today for someone called Avram. Not, we're not called Yitzchak, the Jewish people, as, but we are called Yaakov. Definitely, we're even called Yaakov's greater name, Yisrael. That means every single one of us is a Yaakov. So the story of Yaakov is our story. So this story of the angels is also our story. What's the story of the angels in each and every one of our lives? What's this? What are these angels? And the meaning is as follows. In addition to the guardian, guardian angels that we all have, that guard and protect us, we are also produce angels. We make angels. The Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, chapter 4, Perek Dalit, Mishnah Yud Aleph. I forgot the name of the sage, but he says, If a person does one mitzvah, he acquires for himself praklit echad. He acquires for himself an advocate. You have one advocate, advocate in heaven who is going to who is going to route for you. That's what it is. The Mepharshim on the Mishnah explained that it's literally an angel. A mitzvah creates an angel. We do not such good things, we create negative angels. We're in, the, we're in the angel production business. We're all producing angels all the time based on our actions. We are far more powerful than we think we are. Now, being that we're making angels, so we... We also make Israeli angels and we make non-Israeli angels. We make Eretz Yisrael Malachim and Chutzli Eretz Malachim. You ever thought of that? See, it's new. Always learn something new when you come to Maya. You ever know that? You are constantly creating angels. You're creating Eretz Yisrael angels and and non-Eretz Yisrael angels. Why? Because you and me and all of us were comprised of a body and a soul. Our soul is a holy entity, a piece of God from above. Our body is not so holy. Our body, we can make it holy. That's our job. But in and of itself, is mundane, and sometimes even a little bit to the left side of mundane. The body is sometimes all over the place. So we have a a holy neshama. And our gut soul. Our neshama, even when it descends, our soul was much, 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 much higher when it was in heaven. 
Even when Hashem diminishes the soul, compresses the soul, and brings it down lower and lower so it can enter into our body without blowing us away with its light. Stand. God has to diminish the neshama, tune it down, that it shouldn't overwhelm us with all this powerful spiritual energy. But even with all the diminishments and all the diluting of the soul, the soul is still a very holy entity. We say it in, in davening, Elokai neshama, the neshama, shenosato bi, that you put into me. Meaning not only the neshama as it is up there, but the neshama that entered my body, tohorahi, she's pure. So she's very pure. Therefore, our neshama is equivalent to Eretz Yisrael. What's Eretz Yisrael? A holy land. So our neshama is the Eretz Yisrael side of us, the Israel in us. The body is not holy. If the body is not holy and prone, meaning its natural tendency is to get not so clean, and not so pure, the body is, it's, if we don't harness it, and we don't direct it, the body, as we mentioned earlier, gets misguided. So therefore, our body is compared to chutzla aretz. Chutzla aretz means outside, the lands, the lands of the, of, of the nations. Now, the lands of the nations are impure. After Mashiach comes, they will become pure, but now they are impure, till Mashiach comes. So much so, people might not know this, that if a person left the land of Israel during the time of, the, of when the Beis Amigdash stood in the, in the bank, in the times when we kept the laws of ritual purity, when a person left Eretz Yisrael, even for a quick visit to Chutzli Eretz, they became defiled. They became Tameh. And they needed to get themselves, if they ever wanted to eat from the sacrificial meat, from a korban, if they ever were going to go into the Beis Amigdash, they needed to get sprinkled like a person coming into contact with a dead body. The Chachamim decreed an impurity both on the earth, on the entire earth outside of Eretz Yisrael, and also on the ear, on the atmosphere. The ear outside of Eretz Yisrael and the earth is considered defiled. Since Eretz Yisrael, since Chutzli Eretz is not considered holy, so our body is like the unholy geographic location. So we are combined, however, body and soul. So we are a mixture. We are a mixture of Eretz Yisrael and we are also a mixture of Chutzli Eretz. We are both. Simultaneous. Now, because we have a body and a soul, Eretz Yisrael and non-Eretz Yisrael, and we are commanded to serve Hashem, and our serving, service of Hashem involves our entire existence, body and soul, so we have within our lives two types of experiences, two types of divine service. One kind of a divine service relates more to our neshama. We are doing things that activate the soul, that express the soul, that stimulate the soul, or nurture the soul and nourish the soul. And then there are certain aspects in our lives where we are here rectifying, purifying, refining, elevating the body or the animal consciousness in man. 
See, there's two elements. We can say, in a sense, that that is the difference, it's a simple way where you can see it, between Shabbos and the weekday. Shabbos, for the average Jew, is a day of detachment. We go away from all kinds of worldly activity, and we occupy ourselves primarily with spiritual pursuits. Extra learning, extra davening, extra spirituality. Come Sunday, Monday, we're involved in a mundane world. People go to work. And even if you get a little bit of time to pray and a little bit of time to learn, it's only a small little portion of the day. Most of the time of the day, we are involved in business dealings, in work and so forth. That's all mundane. And if that's mundane, it means the unholy. So we ourselves, on Shabbos, we are in Eretz Yisrael. And during the weekday, we are in Chutz Eretz. Simply because, because on Shabbos we are in soul territory. And it's almost like we don't have a body, even though we have to give our body food and relaxation, but the body is canceled to the soul on Shabbos. And in the weekday, we are in body temp- uh, territory. We have, of course, some moments of soul, but primarily, it's, it's a weekday experience. Eretz Yisrael and, and Chutz Liyaretz. Now, being that we mentioned earlier that what? That when we do a mitzvah, what are we doing? We are producing angels. So when we are doing the service of God related to the neshama, for example, Torah study is an exercise of the soul. It's not so much engaging, involving the body. It's not about the body. It's to probe God's, God's, God's wisdom, which you do with your neshama. Of course, you're using your physical brain to do so, so you're engaging the body to a certain degree, but it's primarily an exercise of the soul and it's geared towards the neshama. It's an experience of light. You are creating malachim. You create angels. What kind of angels do you create? Israeli angels. Eretz Yisrael diga malachim. Those are the angels. Now, when you're involved as part of your spiritual service in the refinement of the body. For instance, doing business according to Torah. That's what it is. Doing business according to Torah. You're serving God in your business. Especially when you have an opportunity to make some money, chas v'shalem, and it's a little bit crooked, and it's not exactly according to the ethics of Torah. And you do not do it, and you consult the rabbi, and you follow what Torah says is the right thing to do. You're creating powerful angels. But being that it's re- involving one's mundane realm of life, these are the angels of the outside of Eretz Yisrael. Nothing wrong with them. They're not Israeli angels. They are the malachim of Chutzliyarz. Or when one makes a blessing during eating, you're eating food. You're not engaged in some spiritual, you're not davening. You're eating. When you're eating, you're making a blessing. You're creating an angel. But that's a chutzliyaretz, because you are in the chutzliyaretz territory. You're outside of Eretz Yisrael. So the malachim that you're creating are non, non-Israeli malachim, non-Eretz Yisrael malachim. So these are the two camps of malachim that a Jew creates in his service of Hashem. Following? Make sense? There's two camps. Now, this is not only our private business, these malachim. Unbeknown to us, we might not recognize it, we might not see it, we might not feel it, but 
These angels are powerful spiritual influencers. Again, these angels have influence on the world. They influence. They cause a change in the environment. I mean, obviously we know that when our, we think we might be doing our, doing our own private lives, doing our own private mitzvahs, we all understand every time you make a blessing, there is a change that's happening in the world. Where do you see that? That the malachim are impacting the world. What does it say by Yaakov? After he greets his two camps, he sees them both, counters the Israeli group, and he has his chutzliyaretz group of malachim. He sees them. Vayikra shem hamokoim machanayim. Yaakov doesn't write into his diary, I had an angelic experience, and, and notes that in his memory, in his own private memory, I met angels. That's not what he does. He names the place. What does that have to do with the place? No, no, he names the place. Naming the place means that his spiritual experience of angels, of angel encounter, is impacting the place. It's impacting it so much that it's becoming the name of the place that he's at. Which at first you can ask a question. I mean, who do, what's Yaakov doing? What do you mean he's naming? What do you mean he's naming? The place didn't have a name. This, was, this is the most civilized place in the world. So people are living in all those. The place had a name already. I don't know what's the exit before Tijuana. I don't know, right before you get there. Before you cross the Mexican border. It has a name. I forgot already. I, I once went there. Um, no, just the last neighborhood in San Diego, right? It had a name. Yaku's place also had a name. There was a name already. Did anybody call him? Did the, did the mayor of the place call him? Do you want a renaming over here? <laughs> I mean, you read these stories and we take them for granted. Vayikra Yaakov, Shema, Mokam. Yaakov goes and he calls the place. Why is it his business to name the place? He's passing through here. The answer is Yaakov knows the power of a Jew. You define reality. No one cares. No one is busy looking. You know, everybody's doing their own thing. They're having the Thanksgiving dinner while Yaakov is meeting these things. Everybody's doing them. They're watching Sunday football. Everybody's doing whatever they're doing, but Yaakov doesn't care. He names the place. Why? Because a Jew has... The Jew being the agent of Hashem in this world, the ambassador of godliness to this world, the Jew has power. And Yaakov's angelic experience is being imprinted Literally, it's being imprinted forever on this place that this place has a new name. It's called Machanayim because of Yaakov's two angels. He's influencing the world with, with the Malach. And these are the Malach Elokim that happens. Okay. But now, once we have the outer setting, okay, you got the outer structure. That this applies, so, so obviously this applies to each and every one of us. That wherever we are, our service pertaining to our neshama and our service of Hashem pertaining to our body produces malachim, different types of angels. These angels influence the place so much so that it gets imprinted in the name of the place where we are. Fine. 
But once we have that as the outer setting, let's get a deeper understanding in the name, in this that Yaakov sees the angels and he says, Malache Elohim, these are, these are angels of God. What does Elohim simply, loosely translated, it means divine beings, angelic beings. More specifically, Elohim is one of the names of Hashem. There are seven names of God that are unerasable, that are treated as holy, you're not allowed to erase it ever. Those names, and what does Elohim mean? So it says in, I'm not talking about anything mystical. When you learn Shulchan Aruch, so in Tur, he describes what you're supposed to have your kavana, what is supposed to be the intention when you say Hashem's name. Whenever you say Elohim in davening, you're supposed to have in mind the Almighty One, the All-Powerful One. God as a takif ubal hayacholis, the one that can do anything. In other words, the idea of Elohim is a superpower or the superpower. Everybody appreciates and everybody knows we are not a superpower. We're small little people hoping to make a little influence and a little dent in this world. Our humanity, our being human means being very limited. Okay, I know it means less limited than a, than a cow, but we're pretty limited in our, in our scope. How long are we here? We're here for a couple of years, then we're tired half the time and we're, we're disturbed half the time, and we're weak half the time, and we're lazy, and we are this, and we are that. And hopefully, throughout our life, we manage to uh, etch out a couple of nice things that we do, right? All right, so that's good. But we're limited, we're limited. The concept of Yaakov having angels, Malachi Elohim, represents the idea that if his service produces Malachi Elohim, it means he is producing super, Elohim means super powerful. It means a superpower. That means Yaakov's service is producing all powerful angels. It's producing forces that are limitless in their power. How is that? It must be that the, that the service itself that produced them, the one that was serving, the Yaakov who was, who, was, who was creating these angels, was operating in a, in a, in a limitless way. Meaning in a, with a power that transcends the normal, the normal energies of a human being. Now obviously we can appreciate that about Yaakov. When Yaakov says to Lavan and he says to him, I worked for you, he goes on to describe to him the, 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 the inhumane conditions that he was in, how difficult, he said, I didn't sleep, I didn't, and I didn't, and no, nonetheless, and the Medrash tells us that Yaakov did not stop studying Torah even for one minute while he was doing all that, all that work. Or according to one opinion, he was saying to heal him, but his work was like very, very intense superhuman energy in his work that he was doing. Especially if we take into this idea that we discussed earlier, that the powers of Haran were all the potential powers of the exile that were coming head on against Yaakov. Do you realize every single thing, Yaakov was in exile for 20 years, I think it's safe to say, 
We know that, with, that, that if our forefathers would have not trailblazed, we would never be able to do it. So that means that if Yaakov is there 20 years, the 2,000th year exile, is there anybody that can measure the amount of challenge, the difficulties, the hardships, the problems that we the Jewish people went through both collectively and individually? In the 2,000th years, the obstacles that were in our way, that we had to overcome. Yaakov in a... In a um, in a microcosm, experienced all of that in, 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 in its source. And he had to battle it. So what did that require? That required from Yaakov to work completely beyond the nature of a regular human being. And that's the meaning of, that's why Yaakov produced Elohim. Elohim in the sense over here means all-powerful. Because his service was beyond human. Yaakov's avoda was beyond, now you'll say it, beyond human. How can a human be beyond human? And the answer is, he's a Jew. Just to be human, like sometimes by the, in many circles, the highest achievement you can be is be a mensch. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a mensch. You have to be a mensch. You can't start without being a mensch. But that's it. That's not for Jews. A Jew is not here to be a mensch. A Jew is here to be divine, to be godly, to channel Hashem into the world. But what does that require? It requires the idea of getting past the natural dictates of what makes up our, our, our definition that defines us as who we are. Breaking that nature. When you break the nature, you're cracking that limitation and that... And that, and that um, and that, and that boundary, and that allows for the infinite of God to express itself. And that's what a Jew is here for. To reveal Hashem in this, in this, in this otherwise time-space-bound, limited, defined existence. So a Jew's service needs to be bound, and boundless, thereby creating malachi elokim, godly angels. But when we create these Malachi Elohim, these godly angels, in the real meaning of a godly angel means a super transcendent power that's beyond human. It means that the service of Hashem, our commitment and our service has to be beyond, beyond, beyond regular, beyond nature. And both in the Israeli angels that we create and in the non-Israeli angels that we create. That means in the work with the body and in the work with the soul. And translate that into, into, into everyday life. We're here in this world, serving Hashem is referred to as Oved Elohim. Oved, as the Pasuk says, you will turn around, you will see between one who serves God, one who doesn't serve Him. So serving Hashem is called Oved Elohim. So in Lakuti Torah, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya, the Holy Altar Rebbe, says in, in, in the Maimer and Pashas Mishpatim, when it says, Sheishanim Yavod, it says about a servant, that six, day, six years he should work. 
It's referring to the work that each and every one of us has in this world. That's what he says. Six, to be a servant, a servant of God. It means the, the, the toil, the effort that each and every one of us is given in this world. But he says an interesting idea. He says the word yavod comes from the word ibud. Yavod doesn't only mean work. It's the term that the sages use when it's referring to a tannery. A tannery is where you're working out leather. So you're taking hides from an animal. No one, I don't think anybody over here visited a tannery. Maybe you did. It has an awful smell. It stinks to no end. And that's why it says that actually any, anybody who has been given a high position, a respectable position amongst the Jewish people, like the Kohen Gadol, like the high priest, or a king, may not have ever worked in a tannery. It's not considered a clean work, it's a smelly kind of a work. But yet we are told that as a Jew, no one is exempt, besides the high priest, the big tzaddik. But other than that, everybody else has got to work got to work the tannery. What's the tannery? The tannery represents the animalistic, the lowly, the skin of the animal. That's referring to our, our natural composition when we're born. Every single person, every single one amongst us is born with certain tendencies that are not so good. And if you don't work on it, you don't refine yourself, that's, uh, that does, that's not going to lead to too much of a productive, healthy life. And we all understand that. Some of us struggle with extreme laziness. And, um, you know, we don't want to move, we don't want to budge, we don't want to. And if you don't challenge that, then you very, leave a very, very unproductive life. Others are, are, are born with tendency of arrogance and haughtiness. Others are born with a tendency of of, of, I don't know, any kind of addictions. You don't be, you know, obviously you're not born with an addiction. But you're born with the tendency of being becoming addicted to some kind of a, whether it's a food addiction, whether it's a drinking addiction, a substance addiction, or something like that. So if you let the body just be its natural self, you're going to run yourself into a deep pit, into a deep hole. That's not good. So obviously we all understand that's even just to be a mensch, even just to be a normal human being, you got to challenge, a person has to challenge the natural state of their physical existence. Got to work on yourself. That's part of education of parents, but it doesn't end with parents. A person has to continuously, as you grow older, challenge the weaker parts of a person's nature. A person's nature. But in Judaism, it's so much more than that. In Judaism, in order to be able to be a, an influencer, in order to be able to shine godly light in the world, if a person does not take on the physical, the, 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 the crassness of the body, and allow the body to just be what we call a big, big behemoth, meaning a complete animal, then, then, uh, then there's nothing productive in a person's life. There's no godliness coming in a, in, in, out of a person. So... The, the, the avoda is work tanned. When you take a, a, a tough piece of leather, how do you change it? What do you do? You have a piece of leather of an animal. It's not leather yet. It's, it's, it's a hide. How do you turn it into fine leather? 
So what they need to do is you need to stamp on it. First of all, they treat it with various different chemicals. But in addition to that, you stamp on it and you bend it and you bend it and you bend it and you bend it this way and you bend it that way. You bend it this way. So we know it mainly this is, the, this is the teachings of Musar, which is meant to teach a person how to not do whatever they want. Whatever you want. If you're just following the dictates of your body, forget about it. So you got to, Maimonides talks about this. Maimonides says that whatever kind of tendency you have, in order to break that habit, you have to go to the complete other extreme. That every time the body wants to be lazy and just lay in bed, you wake up dafka half an hour earlier. Keep on challenging that laziness. It's tired, it's lazy, it's weak. You push him to the other extreme. If the person feels that they have very strong and overly appetite or overly desire for food or overly for thing, you push it the other way. You don't give it to him. That kind of a, of a self-control, that kind of a... It breaks and weakens and softens and then after a while you start making a, a mensch out of the body. That work is breaking the habit, breaking the nature. That's the... It. And what does it take? Sometimes, and not sometimes. The, 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 the energy behind that is, is an energy that's... It's not, it's not coming from your nature. Because if it's coming from your nature, nature is your nature. So with what power are you overriding your nature? Obviously you have to dig deeper into yourself to an inner core, to a core that's not defined by any definitions. And by a Jew, what that really means is your godly soul. And from that godly soul that is limitless in its ability, you can override the, the, the nature of, of, of one's existence. What does that produce? That produces the malachim. What kind of malachim? Malachi elokim. Super powerful, eh? Because it's a super powerful work that's, produ- that, that's the underlying energy to produce, to do this work. So it produces malachim. But, it's, but again, it's the non-Eretz Yisrael angels. Because it's all about refinement of the body. Refinement of the lowly character aspect of the person. But then, what happens once you're past that? Once you reach the point where you feel, you know what, I've overcome it. I'm okay. I don't have any more the same kinds of tendencies, same kinds of addictions, same kinds of patterns of behavior that were plaguing my life and bringing me into all kinds of darkness and all kinds of stuff. I kind of feel I worked on myself. That's a good thing. You should person should feel at a certain point, hopefully if you're making progress, I've worked on myself. I've overcome the lowliness, the crassness of the body. It's not ruling over me. I feel like I'm connecting to a deeper and a higher self, a more inner self, where I feel more in control and I'm devoted to something more spiritual. It's not that selfish, beastly self that I had when I was younger. I feel that now I finally kind of feel a little bit more of a master in my life. Oh, So then what? Oh, now a person feels kind of liberated. And I'm more in touch with a higher self, with a, with a self that is aspiring to learn Torah, do mitzvahs. I'm not, you know, the, the, the need to eat or the need to, 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 to drink or the need to uh, sleep or the need are not such factors. They're not such, 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 or, 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 or they're, not, they're not dictating. So I'm kind of, I could spend my life being more of a, of a Jew devoted to Jewish things, to holy things. In other words, the work is now shifting more to the neshama, to the soul. So what happens now? 
So now, my unholy nature has already been, has already, I've already dealt with that. So then I'm, I'm scot-free, I'm good, I'm perfectly fine. So, and the answer is absolutely not. Why absolutely not? Because now you're dealing with a different kind of a nature. Now you have to deal with something far more subtle. The subtlety of the nature of a holy nature. See, earlier you were dealing with, a person is dealing with a despicable nature. A despicable nature where you have no choice but to overcome. I mean, unless one wants to just live a dark life. But if you want to move ahead and, 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 and elevate yourself, you got to get past that. Fine. But once you pass that, okay, so now I have only good tendencies. But the problem is tendency. That means that your Judaism becomes habit. And the habit itself is the limitation. And the limitation is boundaries. Now these are very good boundaries in the sense that you're talking about what is my nature. My nature is that if I have free time, I study Torah. That's my nature. Instead of having other stuff that used to always you know, grab my attention, I used to, now I'm past that. I can study Torah. I can do mitzvahs. I'm looking for good things to do to help people and so on and so forth. This is a beautiful, beautiful person. But limited. So the Alter Rebbe again, Zalman Aliyadi says, an amazing thing. In Perik, in the, in, the, in the 15th chapter of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe brings the Pasuk which says in Malachi. In Malachi it says, the verse that I mentioned earlier, you should turn around and you will see Bain Oivedelokim, Bain Tzadik Varasha, between a Tzadik and a Rasha. To one who serves God and the one that doesn't serve God. So he brings what the Gemara says in Mesechtes Chagiga, I think. The Talmud Tractic Chagiga says that what does it mean, the difference between someone who's serving God, that after Mashiach comes, you're going to see the difference between people who served God and those who didn't serve God. So the question over there is, it, who, serving and not serving, we said already earlier, a tzaddik is someone who serves God, and a rasha is someone who's not serving God, a wicked person. So what does it mean, someone who's serving or not serving? It's the same thing, the, the verse is redundant. So Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi explains the Alter Rebbe, and he says, no. He says, the servant and the non-servant, both of them, both of them are both tzaddikim. They're both righteous people. Because we're dealing with, with someone who's never doing, doesn't have any sins in their life. They're perfect. Their behavior is actually perfect. They live their lives actually completely according to the dictate of the Shulchan Aruch. They learn Torah all the time, do mitzvahs, never doing anything that you're not allowed to. But yet they are referred to as someone who is not serving God. Why? Because everything remains within the borders and the boundaries of what they are comfortable with. There is no getting out of their comfort zone. So they will continue living all their life, learning Torah for eight hours a day. But he's never going to go to eight and a half hours. Why? Because I feel satisfied, that's how much. Now I have my, my nap, and then I'm not a bad nap, you need to nap. I have my nap, now I eat my snack, I have my tea, and now I'm going to do this. It's good, nothing wrong. We're not dealing with anything problematic with the person's behavior. You're actually doing everything perfectly and good. Problem is that you're not being divine. 
You're not overcoming anything. You're being a finite entity, a wholly finite being, but yet a finite. You're not displaying God. That's why he brings from the Talmud. He brings that the Talmud says the difference between someone who reviews his studies a, a hundred times to the one who reviews his, his, his study a hundred and one times. What's the difference between a hundred and a hundred and one? Why? For the, the one who's serving, who, who reviews his study a hundred and one time is called the one that's serving God. The one that doesn't serve, the one that doesn't review his studies a hundred and one time, he did it a hundred times. Please. What's wrong with that? No, he's not serving God. Why is he not serving Hashem? Because in those days, he says, it was the natural thing to do was to study something a hundred times because they usually didn't write things down. They, they recorded everything in memory. So they, whenever they learned something, they studied it to really know it a hundred times. But to learn it one more time, you have to break yourself completely. I'm doing this because it's God's Torah and I want to do a mitzvah. Even though you have no interest in learning it anymore because you know it already perfectly. So what do you, but they would study it one more time just to break the, that, that, that limitation, that boundary. And then you touch the infinite. Then you're connecting to the ain't self. Then your service is truly manifesting the divine. Or else it's remaining within the realm of the finite. So what do we see from here? That both, in, 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 that in both services, dealing with the crassness and the lowliness and the, and the, and the, the dark side of a human, of a human being, requires getting past yourself, breaking your ego, moving past yourself, and breaking the definitions that, or the, 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 the parameters of one's neshama, of one's soul, of one's spiritual identity. That is also the service on both ends. And through these two types of services, you create these two types of Super beings. If your service is super service. Super service transcending the limitations of humanity. Going beyond. And we have the power to do that. Because of our, our godly origins. But we're... When does Yaakov Avinu point? And he gets excited and he says, Machne Elokimze. Where do you see the true infinity? The real ain't self. The real boundlessness. So, if I am moving past the confinements and the limitations, what we sometimes refer to as Mitzrayim, the, the, the Egypt, that is unholy. If I'm, if, I, if I'm breaking addictions, or if I'm moving past certain behavior patterns that I've been kind of stuck in for a long time, and I break that. So I've broken my outer shell. But did I really transcend any, any old definition at all? Well, because as we mentioned earlier, now I'm just uncovering a higher, deeper self, which that higher, deeper self also has limitations and boundaries. So really in stage number one, when we're dealing with the breaking out of the, the natural earthy side of man's, of man's nature, even though it's transcendence, but you don't really sense the real Ainsof, the real, the real infinite of the divine. But when one can break the definitions, even of his neshama, of his soul, 
then there is no boundaries. Their service to God is on, on a level that's purely infinite. There is no, there's no boundaries at all. What are the boundaries here? Because you've, you've passed and surpassed the nature even of the neshama, even of the soul. That's really insult. That's why when does Yaakov point and he say, Machne Elokim, this is the real godly, when he's seeing the angels of Eretz Yisrael, the angels of Israel represent a service in regarding to the holy aspects of a Jew, which is Eretz Yisrael, but over there too, it's beyond human. That's when he points and he gets excited and says, this is godly. That's the way it appears. That's the way it looks like. But the truth is, and here the depth over here, I'm sharing with you a teaching that the Rebbe spoke. Lubavitch Rebbe spoke in the year 5751. An amazing talk. The Rebbe says, if you take a look deeper, and the truth is, if you dig deeper, it's not, it's not that way. Even one's initial service, when you're trying to overcome any kind of limitation, any type of restriction, any type of behavior pattern, or even if you're not breaking a behavior pattern, you're just breaking your, 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 your natural tendency one time. Right? You're, you're, even there could be expressed the truly infinite power of the Ein Sof. It doesn't, have, it doesn't mean, and it depends like what the person's, what your attitude is. What the attitude is. In other words, what are you challenging? There's two ways to challenge yourself. One way a person can challenge themselves is you feel that, ugh, you know, I have a certain habit and I'm frustrated with that habit. This is, not, this is destroying my life. I have a habit of neglect. Let's say a person has a habit of neglect. They're procrastinating. They never get things done. Everything gets pushed off to tomorrow. In the end, they end up doing things sloppy or even when they the last minute or they end up having all kinds of excuses why things don't get done. And that's not good. So procrastination, leaving things for the end is not, laziness is not a good thing. So let's say they said enough is enough, I'm going to see to it. Whenever I have an opportunity to do something, I'm going to do it right away. Even though everything in me says put it off for later. Talking, if you don't realize, I talk about myself. I put everything off for whenever. My motto is if I can do it tomorrow, why do it to me, right? And that's not good. So you got to break that. You got to break that. So, if I decide that I'm going to break that, and my intention in breaking it, my intention in breaking it, is because I want to break one habit. I'm frustrated with this habit. Then you're right. Then I'm not transcending the human condition. I'm transcending this particular habit. I'm fighting it. I'm breaking it. Fine. But if I'm not challenging the habit... I'm challenging the I that's behind the habit. Behind the habit. I'm challenging the very sense that I'm a limited being and I don't want this limitation. I know that in essence, I'm a reflection of God. In essence, I'm a piece of Hashem from above. And therefore, I feel that these restrictions, true, it's manifesting in the, the limitation of this procrastination uh, habit. Or the, 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 the not having... Of the, the, I don't know, any, whatever it is. Whatever that, that temptation, whatever that, that stuckness is that you find yourself. You're dealing with anger management. And you're realizing this is not good. And I need, 
But it's not so much just about the negativity of the anger. It's the fact that I, I why am I stuck to my, the nature that I was born? And I realize that that's a shell. That's not who I really am. That's just a constriction. There must, there's a deeper me. And I want to break that because I want, I want to express insof. I want to express the infinite. I want to out. So even if it's in something that's very, very, what we might say, um, very, very, on beginning level, something that's very, very not advanced, it's amateur, it's at the very, very start, but if the underlying force behind that is challenging limitation and boundaries, then it's an expression of the infinite. And let me give, and let me give you just a, an analogy to that. Two people show up to the gym. Two people are going to work out. Two people are coming. One person is there because they gained 10 pounds after Hanukkah over their donuts. And now they're just frustrated. They're going to get rid of their 10 pounds. 10 pounds overweight, I'm going to work it off. So then, okay, the 10 pounds are bothering me. I'm going to work and work it out until I get rid of my 10 pounds and I'm done. Then there's another person who's coming to work out, also signing up for the first day. But they are signing up for a lifetime of what? Of workout. And what's their ambition? Today I'm going to lift two pounds. Tomorrow I'm going to lift four pounds. The next day I'm going to lift six pounds. Then I'm going to become a heavyweight uh, lifter. And then I'm going to break this and I'm going to become the ultimate champion. Breaking every, <laughs> every, 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 every uh, record. You know? So even though they're starting off with the lifting feathers, but their attitude and their drive is, an, is, 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 is not the 10 pounds. It's not the limited accomplishment. The idea is, I'm starting. I'm, I, I'm on my way. I'm starting with something small. But I'm here for a lifetime commitment. That's the question. So the real... So the real drive that we're talking about over here, of being a Jew and creating this angelic force, tapping in to this infinite power, is really related to the sense that even if I'm starting right now with the smallest breakage of a very, very, very specific element that is negative in my life, again, it has nothing to do with that particular negativity that I'm breaking, it's not about, that's, that's almost just like as a, a consequence of you respecting, acknowledging, and recognizing your true potential as a Jew to shine, to be godly, and not limited, and not stuck, and not defined. That's the idea. It happens to be. It will express itself in whatever it is that you're challenged with, and whatever it is you're overcoming. It's that, and the truth is, then... Then, if that's the case, then even when you're going to break completely and your person is going to be scot-free from all negative impulses and drives that are negative, and you're going to be completely devoted, you're going to be, let's say, in the days of Mashiach, completely devoted to serving Hashem without any interferences, you're still going to serve God breaking your boundaries continuously, the boundaries of your, of your soul as well, meaning the definitions and limitations that define. Why? Because the motivation is not a motivation of, 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 of frustration with a particular habit. 
It's challenging the very def- definitions and limitations that, that exist in the cosmos. It's breaking. It's, it's the energy of Ufaratsta. That's the idea. Now this, this idea, we can see, and it's just an amazing thing the Rebbe says, if you take a look at the, the nature, the signs, we're talking about, right? We're talking about now about refinement, refinement of our animal soul, right? So we know what constitutes a kosher animal. What constitutes a kosher animal? So we know it has two signs for animal to be kosher. What are the two signs for animal to be kosher? Split hooves, and it chews its cut. Split hooves. So he points out to something really magnificent, which I've never seen before. Both of, first of all, it's two signs, number one. It needs two signs to be kosher. Number two, each one of the two signs is the sign is related to something double. The hooves are split. There's two hooves. Each hoof split. When it comes to chewing it, chewing it, it chews its cud twice, right? Comes, it, it chews something once, swallows it, regurgitates, brings it back up, chews it another time. So what's the idea of chew, chewing twice? What's the idea of the split hooves? And why, why is it two? The notion of two is the notion of double. And the notion of double really means the infinite. I know double means only twice. But the real idea of twice means, you know, you can set your iPhone or your, your, your music app on playing a song, or you can set it on repeat. So if you set it on repeat, what's going to happen? It's going to play this song. It's going to get to the end. It's going to play it again. So if you're not going to interfere, how long is it going to play? It's going to go on infinity. It's going to never, I mean, as long as your battery is not going to run out, if you're plugged into the plug, <laughs> it will play and play. And you'll forget your iPhone. You'll come back in 300 years. It'll still be playing the same song because it's on repeat. The idea of careful means repetition. It doesn't end. The, 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 the sign of the kosher animal, what does that mean? The sign of challenging the animal side of man, which primarily constitutes a person's natural existence, is if you set into motion a drive within this that is, that is never ending. Now, in the sense that what? In the sense that what? I challenge my ego once, I challenge my nature once, and I've broken something, but I'm not stopping. It's not about those extra five pounds that I have to lose. It's the, it's the very workout itself. I'm breaking this, and I'm going to break that, and then I'm going to... It's again and again and repeat and repeat, and on two levels. The split hooves represent that even if I'm dealing in one aspect of my life that I'm going to overcome, it's not just about this. I'm already in a mode that I'm double. It's this and this and th- I'm not ready to go here yet. I'm not ready yet to challenge my, uh, my anger yet. I'm still dealing with my laziness. I'm still dealing with my, 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 uh, my lusts or, 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 or curbing my, my physical earthy desires and wants. 
I'm still dealing with one, or, with one particular aspect. I can't deal with everything at once. That's fine. But the underlying drive beneath it is the drive that I'm not a prisoner. Nothing is going to hold me here. And if it's this today, it'll be that tomorrow. And tomorrow I'll get there. That's the idea of split hooves. It's not one. It's not singular. It's set from the very... The moment you step out to work and deal with your, so to speak, issues, you're set with the drive to deal with all of them. Then there is another thing. Chewing the cud is also double, but on a different level. It's not dealing with horizontal, with the various different things. It's vertical. And vertical means that even if I achieved a certain level of refinement, there is a higher and more refined state. And there is even a more refined state. And there's even a more refined state. And there's even, that means the refinement of one's body can be higher and higher and higher and higher. So you're working upward, not the vi- And these are the two simonim of, an, of, of a kosher animal. It has to have an element in order for it to be a Jewish animal soul or to be that your animal soul should be enveloped in the Jewish experience. A, a Jew has to be ready and able and willing and driven to be, to be in a constant state of overcoming. The constant state of moving past. Once, twice, and never ending. That is now back to the reason that we'll understand now why, remember I asked in the, right in the beginning of the class, why are Yaakov's angels, when he went to Eretz Yisrael, he only had one pair of angels, either the angels, the Israeli angels, or the non-Israeli angels, they came up, they went down. But now when he went on his way back, he met, he had in one place, and he had both Malachim at one time, both sets of angels. And this is the, and this is the mighty lesson. This is the very deep lesson that's being taught over here. It's talking about the Jew that's already stuck. Not stuck, I should take a, sorry, I'm pulling back the word stuck. Finds himself kind of overburdened with what? With a physical self, with an earthy self, full of, full of constrictions, full of boundaries. So obviously at the beginning of a Jew's service, you're not going to start challenging the limitations of your neshama. You have to start challenging the limitations of your body, the limitations of your animal, animalistic self. We have to deal with our issues. We have to deal with the stuff that are constricting us, the stuff that are stifling us, the stuff that are choking us. You've got to deal with it. So you're working with which kind of angels at the beginning of your life? You're going to produce what kind of malachim? Not the angels of Israel. You're not even in, in Israel territory yet. You're not in the territory of your soul. You're still in the territory of what? Of Mesopotamia. You're still in Haran. You're dealing with all kinds of, of traits or habits that if you let them be as they are, they will anger God. You're, you're in an unholy state still. But you begin the service. You start. And here's the thing. Even when you're producing non-Israeli angels, that's what we're saying. In other words, the service is the service is one of refinement of the outside of, of, of your life, of the unholy elements of your life. It's the refinement of the earthy nature, as we spoke earlier. 
And it's being driven with what? But it's being driven, but it's, but it's malachim. What, what are we saying? Malachi elokim. What does it mean, malachi elokim? There is, a, there is an element of divinity in this service. How is it an ele- element of divinity in this service? Because the underlying oomph in the smallest action of overcoming the, 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 the definitions that are defining me is not, uh, I don't like this or I don't like that. It's a rebellion against the very limitation of the human, of the human condition. I'm rebelling against, why? Because I know I'm a godly being. So then, even while, and then I know that what? So then, then you know, here's the thing. Then you know you're never going to reach a point where you're going to be satisfied and you can kick back and say, I've attained, I've reached, now it's time for me to lay back and sip a pina colada on a, on a, on a, on a, on a beach chair. I'm done. Alts is good. I'm, I've arrived. I've gotten rid of every animalistic, physical, earthy desire. I'm living now in a whole spiritual state. I'm good. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's if you're looking for human attainment. If you're appreciating the idea what a Jew is, that a Yid is ufaratz tayama vaked matzafayna venegna, that a Jew represents the divine, or Jew represents God, that even when you're taking that first step, you're signing up for a lifetime subscription to the gym. Every day you're going to show up and break the habits of no matter where you are. You can be the biggest tzaddik and have the holiest habits, you're going to break those habits as well. That's the idea. And therefore, even when you're standing in chutzliaretz, and you have the angels of chutzliar, you're not even dealing at all with the angels of Eretz Yisrael. The angels of Eretz Yisrael are already there. They're already there. Because in potential, it's there already. That's the Chiddush. The, the, the novelty is that you have both sets of angels at the very starting point. Because the way you're jumping into the service is the service of, I'm a Jew. And I can take this all the way. No matter where I am. No matter what it is. I'm not going to be the super tzaddik immediately. But one thing is for sure, I'm never going to be a satisfied person. When I will be the super tzaddik, I will never be satisfied with super tzaddik. No matter where we are, we're always never going to move in state be stagnant and be comfortable. That's not a Jew. Moving past and moving past and moving past. So what happens after this encounter? What does Yaakov do? And this is going to bring it all together with number eight as we said in the beginning. What does Yaakov do after the work in Chutzliart? After he's already called the name of the place. And remember we said earlier, this has such impact, not only on you, this this that you set yourself out with that attitude and you're producing these angels and you're bringing these malachim, in other words, you're tapping into this angelic force that's beyond human, just with pure, what, what is this really all about? It's pure, um, 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 uh, um, what do they call it? Um, drive or, or no, will, will, no, there's a word for it. Willpower. It's the willpower, but it's the willpower of the soul. The willpower of the neshama that is activated. Once you have that, 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 what that produces, as we spoke, is all these angels, that impacts the world around us. That's something that needs to be appreciated and understood. The nature of the world, the nature of physics change. To know that. This, this one, see, we, we can't we, to remember that, that this is very deeply related. The nature of physics change. The nature of the cosmos. Our, our positioning ourselves in the universe creates a shift and a change. This kind of an attitude 
of devotion and dedication that's limitlessness to an infinite goal that we can never reach. That's the point. Creates a, a flow of energy into the world that's infinite and, help, and, and really changes nature itself. And therefore, what happens after Yaakov names the place Malachi Elohim, divine power, not natural power, what happens? He takes these Malachim, these angels, and he sends them to Esau. And what does he cause when he sends them to Esau? Esau is coming against him with 400 men, and suddenly the most amazing thing happens. Esau, who is plagued by the most... One of, the, one of the natural forces that there is in existence, natural phenomenon in existence, but what is the most evil of natural forces within the world that is embedded in the very nature of existence. And what is that anti-Semitism? Esau hates Yaakov. What happens because Yaakov unleashes in his service, in his boundless service, he unleashes the power of the supernatural to impact the world. What happens to his brother Esau? When he meets him, Esau is a complete turnaround. Esau is completely transformed. And he becomes his ally, he becomes his friend, he hugs him. And the two of them are ready for Mashiach. So we know the sages tell us that the non-kosher animals we were talking about are four that we have to make. There are four types of non-kosher animals. It tells us there is a camel, a rabbit, a hare, and a pig. And the four non-kosher animals are referring to the four exiles. Babylonia is one, the Greeks are another one, Persia is the other one, and the last one is Edom, Esau. Esau is compared to the pig. Why is the, and the pig is called Chazir. Why is he called Chazir? Because it's going to turn around. The Chazir is going to convert. The Chazir is going to have a transformation, is going to become an ally to holiness. How has it happened? Because Yaakov sends the angels to him and Yaakov converts him. Like you see in the story of Yaakov and Esau, he converts him. And this is referring to the, the end of days, that which is the most opposing to holiness will turn around. That's opposite of nature. That's the opposite of nature. What, 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 what does Yitzchak tell Esau? What's your nature? You will live by your sword. You'll be a murderer. You'll, and you'll hate your brother. Now, Yitzchak didn't tell that to him, but you see, he says you'll be in conflict with your brother. That's who he is. To flip Esau around is unbelievable. But these, what does that mean? Your infinite service impacts the world. It impacts the most darkest things in the world to transform them as well. And that's where we're standing right now. We're standing right now at the point where we see Esau of Edom himself is getting a complete makeover. It's turning around. As I pointed out so many times, the miracle of what's happening in front of our eyes, that from amidst, from amidst the anti-Semitism, from amidst the world that wants to stop Moshiach, there is a suddenly a complete shift and a turnover that's still it's creating so much tension. And so this, is, this is the tension that there is in the world right now. It's from the transformation of Esau from Chazir to become kosher. It doesn't say he stops being a Chazir. Doesn't stay, doesn't mean it becomes the most refined being. But in his unrefinement becomes what? The biggest ally towards holiness. This is a miracle. This is the miracle of the Giyula. This came as a result and as a consequence 
of Yaakov's Malachim. But what are the Yaakov's Malachim? Yaakov's angels represent a devotion to service of Hashem that transcends your natural self. What does it have to do with the month of Kislev, of Panemius Torah? Let's just conclude. And I forgot to come back to that. It's related because Yaakov, from all of our forefathers, Yaakov's service to Hashem is the service of Torah. Avram represents serving God with love. Yitzchak represents serving God with fear. And Yaakov's service is Teferis, which Teferis is Torah. Yaakov studies Torah. So, but there's two Torahs. Remember I said earlier, there is the Torah given in the summer and the Torah that's given in the winter. And I said earlier, the Torah in the summer is the revealed Torah. Torah in the winter is the hidden Torah. But there's another difference which is really related to the difference, same difference. The Torah of the winter, of the summer, is a Torah that comes easy. The summer months in general is a lot of daytime, a little bit of nighttime. It's a lot of godly revelation. It's Torah that's given to us. Illumination comes. Torah of the winter means learning Torah, breaking yourself when you're learning Torah. Sages say the reason we have night, nighttime is for Torah study. Now obviously nighttime is for Torah study. Nighttime is when your body gets tired and you want to sleep. But when you're learning Torah at night, you're breaking yourself. And Rambam says a person will not learn most of his Torah only at night. Nighttime represents not just Torah study, but learning Torah with diligence and learning more than what you're accustomed to. So, in practice, and, 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 okay, very good. What does that have to do with we spoke about? But, here's the, breaking nature is what we spoke about. But, Torah, which we think is just an inward experience that the Jewish people have for themselves, Torah influences the world. Torah changes the world. The Torah is called, is associated with number three because Torah comes to make peace in the world. Hashem is one, the world is two, Torah is number three. It facilitates unity and harmony. It merges, it's the merger, it's the, it's the, it's the connector, it's the unifier. And the Pasuk says that when a Yidlu, Tamid HaChachamim, who's a study Torah, bring peace to the world, because it says, Verav Shalom, Banayach. Your children make a lot of peace. But the Alter Rebbe says, what does it mean, Verav Shalom? Rav is Esav. Esav says about himself, I have a lot. Esav is Rav. The idea of learning Torah is that it takes Rav, it takes even Esav, and it converts him to what? It converts even Esav to become an ally of Kedusha. So what does that lead us to? The idea of changing the world for good Number one, you should know that you do it in your own house. You don't have to do it outside. You actually accomplish it through overcoming your nature, by, dry, by being driven and, 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 and becoming a conduit for this infinite godly energy in the world. That's the transformation, transforming power. But what does, in particularly, it's referring to the study of Torah. What, and when you study Torah, but study Torah with diligence. When we all take upon ourselves to learn a little bit more Torah than we're used to. 
an extra five minutes, an extra hour, an extra half an hour, whatever it is, everybody according to their limit, that, the Alter Rebbe says somewhere in, in, in Hasidus, I'm going to conclude with this, he says that when Torah is called Torah, it directs. So you say this is, this Torah comes to separate. This is kosher, this is not kosher. This animal is kosher, this animal is not. This meat is kosher, this is not. But the Alter Rebbe says, but what does Torah do? So many times, the, when you're studying, it seems like something is not permitted. And then because you apply deeper and deeper and deeper and you dig and you dig and you dig till you discover how that which you thought is not permitted is really kosher and it is permitted. And getting to the depths of Allah. So he says that has cosmic impact in the world. Those dark stuff in the world that look like they're always going to be dark and they're always going to be antithetical to holiness magically they transform. And we have no idea how did this country or this people or this guy, I don't know, let's say Kim Jong-un, how is he ever going to become a mensch? How is he ever going to enter into Mashiach's world? I don't know. So far he didn't do tshuva yet. Is Iran ever going to turn over? Do we know? What do we know? Can it happen? Can they overthrow the government and suddenly become the biggest ally? According to one medrash, the Khazar is actually Paras, Iran. It could happen. All we need is good Torah study. Good, that's what the Rebbe says, good Torah study that dictates, that investigates, that finds, but that you can only come up with such understanding of Torah when what? When you learn, when you learn Torah beyond your limits. So what's the lesson of Chodesh Kislev? The lesson of Chodesh Kislev is each and every... Take upon yourself to break your boundaries regarding Torah study. You can all start. That's why I gave a little bit of a longer share today. So everybody will break their boundaries regarding Torah study. But even more than that, you can all join on Thursday night when we learn Pneumius Torah. And then we break everybody's boundaries because we learn past all limitations. That's the idea. This is the, this is the chance. This is the chance to be, to be ain't self to be limitless, to challenge. How did we start that class? We started it because I once said, then 10 years ago, I said, who says we can't learn for four hours straight? Who decided that? Let's do it. And we did it. And it's 11 years later, or 12 years, more, 17 years later. And we've done it every Thursday. But the truth is, it's already limited. We have to go for more. Beyond limitation, beyond boundaries, that's the power. That's the power of the Ein Sof. May the Abish to help that we should, all this limitless light and limitless godliness should break down the last barriers of the exile. May we see already the full revelation of Moshiach Tzitkenu, which the revelation of Moshiach Tzitkenu is also here. It should only open up our eyes that we should see the revelation, because the revelation is here as well. May we see it now, now, and now. <laughs> Israel, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
לשוב הביתה לפתוח דלת.